Soulmates. Plenty to talk about on this Tuesday. It is January 17th. Welcome to Fox Hills Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicole Delight-Corte. We are honored to stand behind this desk each day to take you on a journey across black America and the stories that impact our people. We are dedicated to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So let's check in with today's top story. We go to Florida, where at least eight people were shot at a Martin Luther King Jr. Day block party. It happened at Ellis Park in Fort Pierce, where up to a thousand people were in attendance. The sheriff's office says one of the victims is in critical condition and others were hurt by the chaos caused by the sounds of gunshots. Police say they believe there's more than one suspect. No arrests have been made at this time, but police say they have several leads from witnesses. A University of Georgia football player and staff member are dead following a car crash. The university says the player is 20-year-old Devin Willock and the staff member is 24-year-old Chandler LaCroix. Police say the accident happened just hours after the team celebrated its national championship. Police say the vehicle veered off the road and crashed into multiple trees and poles. Two other members of the program were in the car and are in stable condition in the hospital today. A vigil was held overnight for a black Riverside County Sheriff's deputy killed while responding to a domestic violence call. Deputy Darnell Calhoun is being remembered by most in the community at True Public as a true public servant. Fox's Laura Diaz has more. Just like my cousin, man, just a true, just a true hero. Monday afternoon in front of the Calhoun family Texas barbecue, people who knew Deputy Darnell Calhoun well and those who didn't came to pay their respects to the fallen sheriff's deputy. This is his first cousin, Terrence. Our family's just devastated over there. He wanted, he wanted to be anything to serve his community. So he was just that type of kid, wanted to always serve. So, um, you know, so when he finally got the opportunity to become a law enforcement, I mean, I mean, he was happy. His parents were really happy. At the family restaurant, mementos were left at the entrance, including notes of support, flowers, and religious symbols. The murder of the 30-year-old Riverside County Sheriff's deputy in the line of duty has been an emotional gut punch to this close-knit community. Friday the 13th, Deputy Calhoun answered a domestic violence call at a home in the unincorporated area of Lakeland Village near Lake Elsinore. The incident turned instantly violent, according to the sheriff. Deputy Calhoun was the first to arrive and he was immediately met with gunfire. Tragically, this was the second murder of a Riverside County deputy in just two weeks time. Deputy Isaiah Cordero was fatally shot during a routine traffic stop. In Marietta Monday, the heartbreaking tale drew people to the family restaurant from all over. Deputy Calhoun leaves behind two young boys. His wife Vanessa is pregnant with their third child. This mom and her young son felt compelled to show up. They brought a card. Kind of talked about his wife and how she's got little babies at home and how, you know, daddy's not coming home and how we're just coming to, you know, show our love. Monday night, the shrine continued to grow. Sheriff Bianco viewed the outpouring. His emotions were raw as he recalled the murders of his young deputies. The hardest thing that I have ever done is hold her and let her cry. I, it, I mean, it's, I have, I have grandkids that age and I have, you know, a daughter with a baby and it's, there are so many things that we go through as an agency and as, a, as deputies 
that all of those deputies are looking at their own lives and looking at their wife and at their kids and, you know, are they doing the right thing and that could be them. In Marietta, Laura Diaz, Fox 11 News. Just a tragic story of unspeakable loss. And again, that restaurant that you saw uh, in the package, there is a family owned by uh, Deputy Calhoun's family. It is still being flooded with balloons and cards and gestures of support and knee quarter life just brings to mind and reminds us uh, that that line of work is dangerous. And just like, you know, we want to return to our families, uh, so do they. Uh, those calls, you just never know what you're going to get. And it's just a, it's just a very heartbreaking story. It's absolutely right. And and I know that you have, you know, law yes, enforcement in your family. And so I'm sure as you watch that story, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it takes on personal significance. But mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. You know, they want to go home uh, safe, too. And now uh, the mother of, of two with a baby on the way mm -hmm. is, um, you know, having to think about a radically different future than, than, than she thought before. Um, you know, these are... Um, Challenging times, yeah. you know, for for so many out there, uh, including our law enforcement. So our hearts go out to them. Yeah, it's a challenging uh, time for uh, men and women in blue and, and all the controversies. But when you when you hear about stories like that, it, it is a reminder. Aside from that, that they are putting their lives on the line, uh, and uh, we just uh, appreciate it and need to continue to show that support and love and appreciation, especially uh, for this uh, family and community who are just shook by this tragedy. Absolutely right. All right, we're going to move along now. Dramatic. A new video shows a military veteran taking down a knife-wielding man at a Walmart store in Columbia, South Carolina. I want you to take a look. It's a bit graphic. The man with the knife reportedly came in demanding $20. The veteran was shopping at the store at the time and used a checkout line pole to subdue the man with the knife. And that man was eventually taken into custody by police. This week, the Memphis Police Department is finally releasing a statement in regards to an investigation into the death of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols. The department says they're serving notice to the officers involved in the case of impending administrative action. On January 7th, Nichols was allegedly pulled over for reckless driving. Upon approaching his car, Nichols fled after what they described as a confrontation. Police say there was another confrontation before he was arrested. Afterwards, he complained of shortness of breath and was taken to the hospital where he died from his injuries. Chief C.J. Davis told reporters this week that after reviewing information, immediate and appropriate action was needed to be taken. Okay, so Mace, we want to make you aware of a story that's causing quite a stir as a mother is looking for answers after her daughter mysteriously died in a car accident with friends. Reports say that 20-year-old Prairie View student Zakira Kemp went to her hometown of Colleen, Texas for summer break but decided to return to campus early with friends. Her friends called Zakira's mother and said that she was driving drunk and died immediately in a car crash. However, the autopsy says that Zakira uh, was in the back seat during the accident. Now, her family says they believe everything was staged and planned. There was also no 911 call after the alleged accident. This incident is still being investigated, and I'm interested to uh, learn as this investigation continues uh, what that mother, what that family is going uh, to find out. It, it kind of uh, brings you back to the Shanquilla uh, uh, incident over uh, in Mexico, where it sounds like, you know, these friends 
you know, may be covering something up. At least that's what the mom uh, is uh, questioning, especially after the autopsy. When the kids told her her daughter was driving, autopsy shows no, she was in the back seat. A lot of questions yet to, to be answered. Yeah, and I think there was also some issues around, you know, she had to sign off on mm -hmm. on uh, viewing the, the, the body. Mm -hmm. um, uh, she had to sign off that she was going to cremate the body before viewing the body. There's just a lot of really strange mm -hmm. details involving this case. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just another note to our soulmates mm -hmm. to, you know, be mindful of your friends, you know, especially your new friends. Like, you know, get to get to know people, you know, and, um, you know, be discerning in mm -hmm. terms of, of, of who you um, are around and, and who you get into cars with, yeah. you know, who you go to visit. And it sounds uh, like this, this young lady was, was, was doing right by what her mother asked her to do, which was yeah. to keep her location on. And it strangely ended, uh, quote unquote, when this accident happened. I think it's really interesting that, that, that her mother, you know, asked her to be cautious yeah. heading into this. And mm -hmm. sometimes that intuition that moms mm -hmm. have, that we all have, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes uh, it kicks in for a reason. And so That's right. um, uh, we'll continue to keep you abreast as more details come out on that case. But now off to Georgia, where Senator Raphael Warnock says he's committed to continuing the work of Dr. King, especially when it comes to voting rights. Monday, Warnock told reporters during an interview that he won't rest until lawmakers pass national voting rights legislation, renewing his push for further reforms. Warnock says that no one will silence him on the issue and promises that he's going to get it done. After the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act passed in the House in September 2021, Democrats in the Senate were unable to get the bill through the chamber because of Republican opposition. And speaking of Senator Raphael Warnock, he has joined a group of lawmakers who want answers from Southwest Airlines after it canceled, you remember, 16,000 flights during the holiday season. They sent a letter to the CEO of Southwest asking him to explain why they're still using outdated software. They also want information concerning staffing shortages and refunds for passengers. Southwest CEO Robert Jordan now has a deadline of February 2nd to respond to their request. Now off to San Francisco, where a panel studying reparations has proposed a one-time payment to each black resident of the city deemed eligible as uh, they re recompensate for the decades of harm that they have experienced. I'll give you a second to guess how much. Okay, your second's up. Y'all, the panel is proposing $5 million. Good Lord, that's a lot of money. Uh, or is it $5 million per black resident? They argue that a lump sum payment would compensate the affected population and will redress the economic and opportunity losses that black San Franciscans have endured. The committee also proposed wiping out all debts associated with educational, mm. personal, credit card, and payday loans for black households. The proposal could cost the city, which has a 2022-2023 budget of $14 billion, may cost them roughly 50 billion dollars. Well, what I love about this is 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 the solution based conversation. Now, whether or not it can be properly executed is 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 left to to be determined. And, you know, 5 million, 50 million, 50 billion. Could you ever pinpoint a dollar amount that could make up uh, for what has been done, uh, you know, to our 
people and how the culture in some aspects continues to suffer, if you will, from that or always finding ourselves, you know, behind uh, the eight ball or the, the goalposts continuing to move as far as our progress is concerned. But on a much lighter side, I know uh, Mama uh, uh, Corte uh, <laughs> is still a resident of San Francisco and we are Facebook friends. We chat often and could I maybe <laughs> move to the basement, <laughs> claim residency in the meeting in between, just well, in case they work this thing out for real. Well, Mama Corte is in the East Bay. Okay, well, same thing as far as I'm far concerned. Away, right? <laughs> You're like, it's all the same. It's all the same thing. It is, it is, it is, it is. Uh, I, need, I, need, I need to uh, yeah. take a second look at where my license That's right. registration but, uh, but is. But seriously, though, I know for you, uh, you know, it, it's, it raises concerns, even though I, I, I like the progress of this being, you know, something that we're talking about and really considering and some folks are really trying to move ahead and execute but as you've said before you know you gotta you know take a little caution there yeah and we all need to take our time I mean you know the reparations movement you know has really accelerated since the murder of George Floyd mm -hmm. and it's really uh, extraordinary to see so many municipalities across the country from Providence Rhode Island to Evanston Illinois to San Francisco and so many other places uh, that are getting creative about what reparations could look like. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to be patient. Um, I think there's no one way to get it right. Um, I think, you know, whatever approach has got to be customized to what experience black folks had in that particular municipality, that particular area. Um, but it's exciting to see that uh, there are efforts afoot to, for restorative justice, mm -hmm. to repair where there has been harm. That is at the root mm -hmm. of what the reparations movement is all about. And so we'll continue to, to keep you posted. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be your, your go-to on it's, all it, things it reparations. It really is. It really is. Meanwhile, during this break, uh, call your mama. I'm asking for that back room. <laughs> Still ahead. Rappers are now sounding their very own, uh, own alarm. Uh, actually calling for justice. That's right. The double standard, they mm. say, are keeping them from making music that's true to them. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. More when we come back. Get your cell phone. Call your mom. Sorry, that's on me. As more high-profile rappers continue to take center stage in criminal trials due to the lyrics of their songs, other black rappers are calling out the double standard. That's right, Courtney. Black rappers who have fell victim to their own art being used against them are calling on lawmakers to end the practice. They say that although violence and other dark themes frequent their work, they say it's only used as weapons against hip-hop artists and no other genre of music. This all comes as rapper Young Thug is one of 28 people named in an indictment that accuses them of multiple crimes, including murder. Young Thug says he is innocent. The Missouri State House of Representatives may be getting some unwanted attention after revising its dress code for female legislators and staff members while keeping the dress code for men 
unchanged. Now, following Wednesday's 105 to 51 vote, women legislators are now required to wear a jacket such as a blazer or a cardigan, a move that sparked debate about policing the fashion choices of women. The updated dress code is a part of a more extensive set of rules laid out by the House. Sources say it has been criticized by some Democratic lawmakers who say the Republican back moved is sexist and pointless. But those in favor of the policy say it's a small change that would help maintain professionalism inside the chamber. According to a workplace report by Aflac, Americans are more burnt out now than they were at the height of the pandemic. The study's results show that more than half of Americans, of American workers, are experiencing at least moderate levels of burnout, a notable increase over 2021, 52% and, and uh, on par with the levels reported in 2020 at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. More than half of employers recognize that employees' mental health issues have affected their businesses over the past year. Employee burnout can partially be attributed to the great resignation and quiet promotion moment in which employees quit their jobs and droves during 2021 and the early part of 2022, subsequently leaving remaining workers with more responsibilities and more work to cover the absences. Hmm. You know, there's been a lot of stats, uh, you know, stemming from the pandemic. And sometimes it's hard to, to know which way you want to flow. You know, we're enjoying working at home. Uh, we're more productive. Uh, you know, the, the corporate folks, the suits that have said that the, the, the staff has been, you know, uh, more productive. They appreciate the fact that they don't have to necessarily continue to support or finance a brick and mortar. And then you have reports like this that say, OK, we're burnt out. And, uh, you know, we need a break and, uh, you know, mentally we're, we're wearing a little thin. So I don't know. It, it sounds like it might be a mixed bag of, of some good and then maybe some not so good, which leaves room for in, in improvement, leaves room for discussion yeah. for still maybe a different way, you know, because, you know, We'd like to say that we're over the pandemic. We're still dealing with, you know, um, residue up from the pandemic, hiking uh, cases. So it's, it's still here. So maybe we need to continue to think about how we will continue to evolve and deal with it. I think employers need to, to think about uh, how they intend to manage the fact that a lot of uh, employees mm -hmm. are feeling like they have to do more work with less, right? Mm. And so less uh, headcount on their team to, to support the work that they are charged with, you know, less administrative support uh, in order to get the job done. And so, you know, uh, and I think with these devices right here, with these right here, um, these electronic leashes, if you will, you know, it's it's harder than ever to get away from work. And so even on the weekend, Ooh. sometimes you find yourself sort of scrolling through work emails Not and me. all of that. And so I, I just think that mm -hmm. we just, we coming out of the pandemic, I think, mm -hmm. um, there were some boundaries that were blurred during the pandemic. That's it. Uh, and I don't think we've quite adjusted back in terms of reinforcing those boundaries. And so I think reports like this just underscore that. Boundaries are key. Boundaries are key. And sometimes you have to learn how to put that phone down. I'm coming from a generation prior to uh, cell phones. So uh, adjusting and, and setting boundaries and learning, you know, put that cell phone down uh, comes with ease for me. And I know for some folks or, you know, or part of generations or habitually speaking, you 
you know, their phone is their lifeline and is their leech. It, and it has become a discipline to put it down. But I think you're, you're spot on uh, in regards to the resources and what people are expected to do uh, based on what they're provided with. That's a great point. I mean, just think about how often we go out to eat. Mm -hmm. And how often do people have their cell phones turned sort of face up, yeah. right? And they're checking text messages mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and all the sorts mm -hmm. while folks are eating dinner. And so I think those are just, that's just another reminder mm -hmm. that, you know, we've got to get clear about what those boundaries are um, at work uh, and at home. Have you worked for a company uh, that pays for the cell phone or part of the cell Absolutely. phone? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I've had that where my personal cell phone, the company pays a little bit on my personal cell phone bill, uh, but still you have to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm Monday through Friday, unless it's just, you know, being the news industry, the news never stops. Unless right. it's just some sort of kind of just something that you know you just have to tap into and, and physically get yourself involved. Other than that, even though they were putting a few cents on my, on my bill, you still have to create boundaries for your for your mental peace of mind. You mm -hmm. really do. Yeah, you really do. All right. We're going to move on here. Food insecurity is one of the most pervasive social issues plaguing our country. And a black woman is at the helm of trying to fix it. Claire Babineau Fontenot leads uh, leads Feeding America. That's a nationwide network of more than 200 food banks that feed more than 46 million people through food pantries, soup kitchens, shelters, and other community-based agencies. Now, since the pandemic and economic inflation, food insecurity rates have grown since June of last year. 9% of U.S. adults have reported skipping meals, and another 12% said they ate lower-quality foods based on what they could afford. Miami Heat and Miami-Dade County announces the team's home arena will be temporarily called Miami-Dade Arena. The NBA team recently shared that the FTX Arena will be getting a temporary name change until a permanent naming rights partner comes aboard. The change comes just a few days after a bankruptcy court ended Miami-Dade's naming rights deal with FTX. Now, soulmates, you might remember that in November, Miami-Dade requested for the naming rights deal, be a be, they requested it be terminated. The county believes that keeping the FTX affiliation will increase the, quote, enduring hardships that were brought on by the collapse of the cryptocurrency exchange. All right, you might want to make note of this as postage stamps are going up again. Starting Sunday, the U.S. Postal Service will increase the price of some postage by more than 4%. So the cost of a forever stamp will rise 3 cents to 63 cents. This is the third price hike in about a year. The Postal Service says the increase will allow it to keep pace with the rising cost of operations. And I, I would have to agree, 63 cents to, to mail out, you know, an, an envelope uh, that's within, you know, the weight requirements, I don't think is so bad. It's, in this day and age. It, it's, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. I mean, you know, I remember the cost of a postage stamp had been really low for a long time. Mm -hmm, it had. And then it just felt like all of a sudden, like increase, increase, increase. I mean, mm -hmm. as we mentioned in the story, this is what the third increase uh -huh. um, in less than a year. And mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, I, but however, I think for people that may be on a fixed income, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that uh, typically, you know, use the postal service, mm -hmm. you know, for their businesses or mm -hmm. for correspondence with, with friends and family, mm -hmm. um, they may feel the difference. They may. Right. But, you they know, may. that compared to how much they would pay 
in the private sector, you know, to, to mail off uh, their items, um, it's still a pretty good deal. I would deal. agree. I would agree because when you go to some of the, the, the like you say, the private guys uh, or the ones who specialize in delivery, it can get uh, pretty costly. I know we sent some pictures up here and I'm thinking, okay, you know, $50, $60. That girl said $400 and these were just, you know, basic, uh, you know, pictures, uh, you know, that you artwork. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I still think it's still a great deal when you go the postal service route um, in comparison to some of the other uh, folks out there who, who are in the same business. So I'm down with the increase. And especially given the fact that uh, for a lot of nonprofits out there, mm -hmm. there's a nonprofit postal rate. And mm -hmm. So, you mm -hmm. know, uh, even though 63 cents, you know, you know, that may startle a few folks. There are mm -hmm. a lot of nonprofits out there that benefit from not having uh, to pay for postage at all. And so, again, a pretty good deal. And shout out to all the postal workers about, you out there. You read my mind. Right? We appreciate y'all. We, we appreciate you. And all these you. elements, yeah. rain, you, snow, you, cold. You get Ooh. it. You get us our mail yeah. no matter what. Mm -hmm. And we see you and we appreciate yes, you we do. here at Fox Souls Black Report. There's more to come on Fox Souls Black Report. Yep, that's right. The latest on the rescue efforts of migrants across the country, plus a dramatic rescue caught on camera. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for joining us, Soulmates. How about if we take it back to the top and run back our top stories of the day? A University of Georgia football player and staff member are dead following a car crash. The university says the player is 20-year-old Devlin uh, Devin Wilcock, and the staff member is 24-year-old Chandler LaCroix. Police say the accident happened just hours after the team celebrated its national championship. Police say the vehicle veered off the road and crashed into multiple trees and polls. Two other members of the program were in that car as well and are in stable condition in the hospital. A vigil was held overnight for a Black Riverside County Sheriff's deputy killed while responding to a domestic violence call. When Deputy Darnell Calhoun approached the home, the suspect started shooting at him. Eventually, the suspect was ultimately wounded after getting into a shootout with other deputies and was then taken into custody. The sheriff said Deputy Calhoun joined the department last last February after serving with the San Diego Police Department and to Florida now where at least eight people were shot at a Martin Luther King Jr. Day block party. It happened at Ellis Park in Fort Pierce and up to a thousand people were in attendance. The sheriff's office tells us one of the victims is in critical condition and others were hurt by the chaos by the uh, sound of gunshots, hearing gunshots. It's believed there is more than one suspect. No arrests have been made at this time, but police say they have several leads from witnesses. And lastly here, dramatic new video shows a military veteran taking down a knife welding man at a Walmart in Columbia, South Carolina. The man with the knife reportedly came in demanding $20. The veteran was shopping at the store and used a checkout lane pole to subdue do the man uh, with the knife. The armed man was eventually taken into police custody. The quarter lie back to you. Thanks, Courtney. Now, soulmates, imagine being on a cruise coasting to Cozumel, Mexico, when your captain gets over the loudspeaker to announce that the entire ship will be stopping to rescue refugees. Well, that's exactly what happened to a group of travelers, all highlighting the ongoing crisis at the border. 
Marlisa Goldsmith has the very latest. Two months ago, the Coast Guard told us 5,000 migrants were rescued, many by cruise ships, and sent back home in 2022. But based on what we saw over the weekend, that's not stopping people who are desperate to get out of Cuba. We are proceeding closer to this is what passengers on the MSC Miraviglia heard come over the loudspeakers as they sailed back to Port Canaveral on Saturday from a cruise to Cozumel. The crew alerted passengers the ship would be stopping to help these people floating at sea on a makeshift raft. A Fox 35 viewer on board recorded the rescue on her phone. You can see Cuban migrants on the water as the Miraviglia approaches. An MSC spokesperson told us the crew did everything right in a statement saying our crew notified the United States Coast Guard and started a rescue operation immediately. The cruise ship took 24 migrants on board. Medical personnel checked them out, and the crew took care of them overnight until the ship docked at Port Canaveral on Sunday. Once in port, the Coast Guard turned them over to U.S. Border Protection. This is the latest cruise ship rescue we've reported on in the last few months. Back in October, we spoke with a passenger on board another MSC cruise ship who saw a similar rescue at sea. And it was full of um, people from Cuba asking for water and just basically asking for help. Cuban migrants often sail on makeshift boats and rafts in a desperate attempt to flee their country because they are afraid of the future of the government. Wood surrounded by styrofoam, um, floating canisters, tarps and plywood. Ultimately, anything that will float. Earlier this month, Governor Ron DeSantis activated the Florida National Guard to respond to a flood of mostly Cuban migrants arriving by boat in southern Florida. Just today, Coast Guard crews tweeted they sent 82 people back to Cuba. New numbers released this afternoon by the U.S. Coast Guard show nearly 5,000 Cubans have been stopped by the Coast Guard since October 1st. Compared to around 800 in 2021 and just four. 49 in 2020. Cuban Americans we spoke with tell us since the pandemic, living conditions in Cuba have gotten really tough. They tell us there are shortages of medical supplies and basic prescriptions. The political situation is unstable, and that has scared a lot of people who are desperate to get out any way they can. Reporting in Studio B, Marlisa Goldsmith, Fox 35 News. Our thanks to Marlisa mm. Goldsmith for that story. Uh, I've been to Cuba. I think you've also yes. been to Cuba yes. before. Um, I'm not surprised that uh, the pandemic has had uh, a heavy effect mm -hmm. on uh, the people of Cuba, on the mm -hmm. economy of Cuba. Uh, we're seeing not just Cuba, but we're seeing you know migrants from Haiti, migrants from uh, lots of, of different areas, including uh, Central America mm -hmm. and even Mexico, that are coming to our shores. Um, it is. Um, it's good to see that uh, there's a company out there that saw the humanity That's right. uh, on the seas and mm -hmm. saw these as human beings and not just as, as migrants, right? But these are people, these are families um, that are fleeing a situation. And so I think, and, and according to the, the report, you know, they did all the right things mm -hmm. by contacting the Coast Guard, mm -hmm. giving them a heads up of what they were doing. Um, you know, they, clo they clothed them, they sheltered them uh, on uh, the ship. Um, and then turn them over uh, to the the authorities uh, for processing. Um, you know, I think you know that's the 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 best news that I've heard related to uh, sort of the brokenness of our immigration system, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, absent Congress, 
you know, actually passing laws and, and, and doing an overhaul of our immigration system, unfortunately, we'll probably expect more uh, on the sea rescues like this. And no matter where you stand on immigration, refugees is what we used to call, you know, use the term back in the day. No matter where you stand, this is, I agree with you, uh, a practice of, of humanity, first and foremost. And then you deal with the politics of it after, you know, they've been rescued and, and, and taken care of. Um, but can you just imagine how desperate uh, the situation uh, may be or is in, in Cuba uh, for someone to risk their life like that in the middle of, of this sea uh, with all kind of dangers uh, surrounding them. Uh, you've been to Cuba like, and I've been to Cuba and so we know how proud uh, those folks are and they love their country. So to make that decision um, to leave and, and leave with such a urgency and danger and without the proper resources, I can only imagine just how desperate things have gotten in that country, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. it's also important to note that asylum is a human right, and mm -hmm. so they could be you know, coming here seeking asylum, and mm -hmm. so we'll continue to keep our eye on that story and more. But moving along, over three dozen historic black churches will receive $4 million in grants to help with renovations and preservation of their buildings. The National Trust for Historic Preservation's African American Cultural Heritage Action Fund announced on MLK Day that 35 churches across the country will receive the first round of its Preserving Black Churches grants being funded by $20 million endowment by uh, Lilly Endowment Initiative. Officials say that the focus is not only on the preservation of the physical building, but also on the profound stories mm. embodied in their walls, their landscapes, their cemeteries, and their role as centers of black religion, culture, and service is fundamental to understanding the lived experience of black Americans. The fund has raised, get, get this, more than $80 million wow. since its launch in 2017. That is some good news. Keep that money coming. We need these black churches. And speaking of black, black Twitter is having a heated debate. And we thought we'd jump in on the conversation, soulmates. So there's an HBCU professor recently uh, who released his dress code for his class, this dress code policy for his students. And that uh, was reposted and it gained about 2.9 million views in about a week. Now the syllabus uh, states that it's bans students from wearing hoodies, do-rags, bonnets, and three styles of shorts, that being booty, coochie, cutter, and twerking shorts. This is how this professor, you know, phrased it and coined it in his syllabus for the students not to show up in this. Forbes reported that the instructor is a black male computer science professor at North Carolina A&T University, but the article does not name him. Many people supported the dress code, but there are some others on black Twitter who you best believe pushed back. The new head coach of Bethune-Cookman, Ed Reed, is apologizing for an explicit rant in which he criticized the on-campus conditions at Bethune and that of other HBCUs. Reed was seen ranting over the amount of trash he encountered on campus and within the football facilities. Reed in the rant also claimed his office was not cleaned out either upon arrival as head coach. Uh, in a statement, he said his language was, quote, unacceptable and that he fell victim while engaging online with critics during the viral rant. And I saw the rant and I knew he was going to have to apologize because he absolutely snapped. He it went was, in? Oh, he went all the way in. It was pretty foul. However, 
uh, what he was addressing was very, very real. And I saw it um, thereafter. And so, you know, the, the, when it plays back, the comments still, uh, you know, come up on that feed. And there were a lot of students and, and HBCU alumni who were saying, you know, he ain't lying. You know, welcome to our world. And they, su they supported him in saying that, you know, Deion Sanders, Coach Primetime, uh, was absolutely right. And I think he was just so dismayed by the condition of not only the field, but other areas of Bethune-Cookman's uh, uh, campus. Now, I know that they've just suffered uh, some damage due to storms, but there were, again, a lot of people in the comments saying this has been a mess even before any, you know, weather, uh, you know, hit uh, the campus. And so, uh, you know, yeah, he's going to have to apologize because he snapped out. And he's also, according to him, working without a contract right now. So he's putting all this effort in with, um, you know, his, 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 his boys, that being his team, other staff members to clean that area up. And according to him, he doesn't even have a contract just yet, let alone the office wasn't even cleaned out before he, uh, before he got there. So he had a point. He it's, had a point. It sounds like maybe that office cleaning or lack thereof was the straw that broke the camera's back. I think back. so, too. Right. I think so, too. All right, Pepsi and the NFL are teaming up with black businesses, bringing attention and exposure to black-owned restaurants across the country through its Dig In program. In its third year, the NFL and uh, a host of other organizations, including the National Urban League, have used the Dig In program to sponsor lunches for corporate executives and staffers around the country, providing black-owned restaurants with an infusion of money to help their businesses. The program provides black-owned restaurants with the business resources and catering opportunities to help financial to help them financially. The NFL joined the Dig In program to add to its growing list of initiatives that increase diversity and business opportunities for black entrepreneurs across the country. All right, big news for Bowie State University as students will now have the opportunity to participate in a new program designed to increase the number and diversity of individuals entering the government cybersecurity workforce. The National Science Foundation program is providing more than $29 million in new funding this year to nine universities to support developing students for cybersecurity positions with the Department of Homeland Security, FBI, and other federal agencies. Bowie State is the only HBCU that received a grant this year to participate. The program is offering two-year scholarships for those majoring in cybersecurity under a $2.1 million grant from the foundation. We love to see this. Mm -hmm. You know, we had reported not too long ago that uh, the uh, governor-elect, is he governor yet? Governor Westmore? I believe so, yes. Okay, so Governor yes. Westmore uh, of Maryland uh, has been working really closely with the congressional delegation mm -hmm. um, to and President Biden to try and get them to move the FBI headquarters mm -hmm. to, to Maryland. Maryland, right, which would be a huge boon, huge, uh, huge economic boon to Maryland and would be a part of a pipeline mm -hmm. of students going from places like Bowie State mm -hmm. uh, into positions um, at the FBI and other federal agencies. And mm -hmm. so exciting news for the folks over at Bowie State. Yeah, congratulations. That's a great program. So is it with, the, uh, with Pepsi. Speaking of pipelines, I do believe I said lunches. It's launches. They're providing
providing launches for these small businesses. A, a great look for Pepsi, especially with the big game on the way. You know, everything is done with intention. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. Press. That's right. Good You're press. absolutely right. Oh, well, yeah. Coming up, Boosie wants a pardon. We'll tell you from which mm, state. Plus, Dr. Dre is making quite the sale. We'll tell you what's up for purchase and the asking price when we return. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. We'll be right back after this. Get your coins ready. <laughs> The, the conversations <laughs> during the commercial right. break. Huh? Oh my goodness. You, you, you gotta <laughs> Ooh, love them. Okay. You know what else you gotta love? Hip hop rapper Boosie wants to be the next rapper granted a pardon from the government. Oh yes he does. After learning Meek Mill received one from Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf, the rapper took to Twitter to ask the Louisiana government to free him from his criminal record. Boosie, whose real name is Torrance Hatch, was arrested in 2008 after police found marijuana and a firearm in his car. He pled guilty to the drug charges and was sentenced to two years in prison. After serving time, he was then charged, you may remember, with first degree murder in the summer of 2010. And I can see why Bootsy will, Boosie will want in on, you know, on, on, on these, these, these pardons, you know? I can see why. Why not? I mean, you know, everybody has a right to petition, you know, their government, and he should absolutely petition the governor and ask for a pardon. Mm -hmm. Be surprised. Mm -hmm. uh, well, no surprises here. Dr. Dre wants to sell the bulk of his music catalog. Variety has confirmed that he is working out a deal to sell some of his music royalties and masters for something close to $250 million. The assets that are reportedly being sold are said to include his artist royalties from two of his solo albums, his share of NWA artist royalties, uh, producer royalties, and the writer's share of his song catalog, where he doesn't own publishing rights, which may include songs from his famous 1993 project, The Chronic. Reports say that the deals are nearly done and were shopped by Dre's attorney, Peter Pat Paterno. And we were talking, you know, over the break, is he still in the billion, billionaire club? I don't know. I don't hmm. know. He, he, he might he's be. Has, he's taking some hits. He's taking a, he's taking a few hits. Yeah. But I mean, but that was a massive deal that he had with Ew. with Apple's. I mean, Beats by Dre. Beats by Dre. Right. I mean, and yeah. it was a great and it's a it's a great product. It is. It really is a great product. He had all those super duper stars sign on to you know endorse and and, and help um, you know promote and it's a great product. And I'm just wondering, is he still in the billionaire club? It's a good question. You know, but I'm I'm really um, it's it's good to see. Dre as an artist, mm -hmm. entrepreneur, to see him yeah. transition throughout his career, mm -hmm. right? You know, you know, from being a producer and a performer to, you know, developing consumer goods like Beats by Dre. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what an incredible, you know, artist, and you know, what a trailblazer. I mean, yeah. he's 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 carved out a path, you know, that uh, a lot of folks uh, hadn't been able to see before, and mm -hmm. so uh, we've got to love at least that much. And that that goes for all of them, you know. From whence they came, I remember Dr. Dre from the World Class Wrecking Crew. Uh, when they when they were a little different in their approach until until the NWA days when when it was real hard and gangster, uh, and so yeah his 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 journey along with uh, you got 
Combs and, and Jay-Z and a few others who have, uh, and, and I don't know if Kanye's still in the billionaire club, but who have, who have hit that mark and, and you would have never thought based upon their beginnings that they could get there. So for me, it's a, it's a story of uh, perseverance and um, what can happen, mm -hmm. indeed. That's right. Well, now uh, on to some sad news in the music community. American Idol alumni C.J. Harris has died. The singer went on the show in 2014 after auditioning for a few other singing competitions over the years. He made his way to American Idol season 13 semifinals and had memorable performances covering songs like Soul Shine and Can't You See? Reports say Harris died in his hometown of Jasper, Alabama. Harris was 31 years old. Oh, sorry to hear that. A uh, WNBA Minnesota Lynx legend is calling it a career. Maya Moore officially announced her retirement yesterday. She spent eight seasons with the Lynx, winning four WNBA titles, and she holds the highest winning percentage of any player in franchise history. Moore's last game was back in 2018. Since then, the 33-year-old has focused on criminal justice reform. In fact, Moore helped win Jonathan Irons' release after 23 years in prison. He's now her husband, and they had their first child just this past summer. All right, some good news, soulmates. Jennifer Hudson is proving her staying power in the daytime talk show arena is strong. Warner Brothers Discovery has announced that the Jennifer Hudson show would be back on Fox TV stations for a season two next fall. That's right, Hearst Television, along with other station partners, also renewed the Telepictures produced series with the EGOT as host. Mm. The syndicated show is said to be reaching, on average, 5.2 wow. million consumers a week. And then you want to cue her the famous song from Dreamgirls, which I'm sure we didn't pay for, so we can't really sing it. But she's obviously, I'm, I, she's obviously not going. That's for sure. That is really great news. Yeah. When I first, you know, uh, saw a couple of episodes, of course, we're, we're working d during the time, but I have been able to peep a couple episodes, and I was thought, I thought, okay, if she kind of goes straight and narrow talk show, I don't know. But then she started to sing. And I was like, there's there's her niche, there's her lane, there's her key, because some of the performances, uh, whether they've been planned or, or just off yeah. the cuff, have been uh, amazing. I remember the Hollywood, the Halloween, Halloween performance um, and just her pulling uh, audience members uh, and asking them what would they like to hear have been some special moments. So go ahead, South, 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 Chi, South, South Side, Chi-Town girl. I'm excited for her. I'm excited for her, too. And one of the things I just... I do like about her show and, and I DVR it, right? And mm -hmm. so uh, I try to get to it as often as possible. But, mm -hmm. you know, she really seems like a variety show host, yes. right? And I think to the degree that the she leans into her, her talent as an EGOT, mm -hmm. um, I, I think uh, it's going to be continue to be great television. And so congratulations yes. to Jennifer Hudson. And like I say to uh, a lot of uh, uh, our uh, our colleagues that are doing excellent work. Whenever you're in Detroit, Michigan, you are welcome <laughs> to stop by Fox Souls Black Report and have a chit chat. You with better, us. better better be ready to host these folks when they come. We gonna host them together. Because in a minute, you, you know, you, I know together, but you gotta, you know, put on the bells and whistles. You know, food, champagne, maybe. <laughs> Asti or spumati. Let me know, let me get through what whole, they would want. Let me get through whole thirty, and then we we, we can talk about that. <laughs> Uh, now off to the latest Black Panther news, where Black Panther star uh, Donnie Guerrera uh, had 
quite the response to rumors of a spinoff series centered on her character Okoye. The actress and playwright hinted at the possibility of a Disney Plus series about the warrior and loyal protector of Wakanda during her appearance on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. In 2021, a Hollywood reporter profile on top uh, of Hollywood attorneys spotlighted Guerrera's attorney, Jamie Mandelbaum, and noted that he helped broker a deal on an Okoye or, or, uh, original spinoff series for Disney+. It was later reported that Black Panther director Ryan Coogler, fellow USC alum, fight on, was developing <laughs> the series. Wow, I check out that. Check that out for sure. WNBA star Brittany Griner, uh, Griner's harrowing detainment in a Russian prison will be featured in a brand new comic book. It's all a part of a Tidal Wave Comics popular female force series about an athlete who overcame obstacles to become a significant player in the WNBA. Now, the publisher started working on this story years ago before her detainment and eventually uh, released from a Russian prison. Now, the book will be available in print and digital formats tomorrow. Oh, my respect for LeBron James on and off the court has just continued to grow. And here is the latest update in his storied career. He is now the second player in the NBA to score 38,000 career points. Take a look. You mentioned him. obviously one of the favorites again this year. Here's LeBron. He has 38,001 for his career. James passed the milestone during last night's game against the 76ers, and he's expected to become the new record holder this season. Lakers uh, did lose this game uh, by one point. Aww. It was 113 to 112, so we're this close uh, to the Sixers. James is now only 364 points behind Hall of Famer Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time record of 38,387 points. Wow. How about that? That is amazing. That is insane. I'm, I'm, you know, the, the trek that he's on, I'm sure uh, he'll get it. I know he's aging up. Um, uh, so, you know, from season to season, you, you're wondering, you know, is he going is he going to be back and, and be just as effective? I know uh, he's talked a lot about, you know, waiting up for the the uh, oldest son to to possibly get in the league so they can, you know, play together. But this is an amazing feat. Only little, you know, sour note to it is that the, the Lakers aren't doing all that well this season. But uh, and they lost that game. However, that is still a great feat. Well, you, know, great well you know, we know winners can't win all the time. You know, sometimes, sometimes we need a little bit of, little, little well, you, bit of a you break. You tell winners like LeBron that it's difficult <laughs> for them not to be winning. I'm telling Well, even while they're not winning, there are still other black folks that are, are winning. Still ahead, black excellence heads to Essence. Ooh, we'll tell you uh, the touching story of a mother-daughter duo when we return. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. They like winning, baby. <laughs> How about this, so mates? A mom quits her six-figure job to partner with her 11-year-old daughter to launch a self-care retreat during Essence Music Festival weekend. That's right. Dr. Tasha Dickerson and daughter Kaylee will also host the retreat as an international speaker, best-selling author, and a certified 
clarity and stress management coach. Hello, Dr. Dickerson <laughs> is intentional about providing women with tools and strategies needed to change their mindset and reduce stress to live healthier and empowered lives. Dr. Dickerson decided to launch the Big Easy Retreat during the Essence Music Festival weekend because of its historic setting to meet women from all walks of life as she is determined to assist women on their journey to exploring who they are. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's it's great. Amazing. And what a, and what a heck of a coach. I've never heard of a coach that's, that's, uh, that's doing all that. Clarity and stress management mm -hmm. coach. We might have Let to me. tap in and give her a call and have her be a guest to talk a little bit more about that. You, you're absolutely right because mm -hmm. she must be in high demand. Mm -hmm. How many stories have we reported on in terms mm -hmm. of the burnout that people are experiencing at work and uh, in terms of some of the, the mental health uh, challenges that people are experiencing. I know life coaches are not therapists, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. if you if you look at uh, you know your self care holistically, mm -hmm. sometimes it it, in, it includes life coaches and therapists, mm -hmm. not or. Yeah. Great show today. Yeah, absolutely. That's we sure it. did take folks on a journey across America. Yeah, if, if I can take one moment, I want to send some uh, prayers and condolences out to the family of uh, Valerie Vaughn. We've talked a lot about um, uh, colon care, uh, colon uh, cancer, and and preventative measures. Uh, you know, she unfortunately finished uh, her fight uh, last evening. And let me tell you a little bit about this. She was best friends with Aaliyah, and uh, Aaliyah's uh, birthday was yesterday. So we we take comfort in, in knowing that uh, yeah. Aaliyah, along with the other ancestors. Uh, came over and, and, and took her on in. But uh, let's stay healthy, let's stay aware, and I just want to send some prayers out to uh, the Vaughn family here in Detroit. Yeah, and I also want to send a prayer out to Stephen David Simon. He's a friend of mine who just lost his brother uh, to cancer. I'm Courtney Hicks. I'm Nicordelai Corte. Until next time, everybody, stay, stay lifted. lifted. And be well.